0: Last time we we talked, we talked about generosity and how God has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, which is is greedy and selfish, self-centered, and then in Christ, he has delivered us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we're out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of light is totally opposite. It's upside down to the world. I mean, it's it's generous. It's la- we get lavish grace. We get God's generous. We don't get a little bit of God's love. We don't get a little bit of God. Everything God does, He does extravagantly. He extravagantly loves us. He extravagantly gives us grace. He gives us a great promise and a great future. So it's totally different. So today, I wanna, we talked about you know that we we've been delivered from the kingdom and we need to be generous. So today, I want to talk about some of the how. How to be generous. And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse fifteen, about how to be generous. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go ahead on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. Now, what's going on is that Paul is collecting money for the saints, and uh, in Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is in particular having difficulties. So this is the first century, the first, you know, century of Christianity that has been birthed in Jerusalem. And Paul has gone out and planted other churches in the Roman Empire. This is he's writing to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians are are pretty wealthy people. Uh, they live in a place that has got a lot of, lot of wealth. But in Jerusalem, the Christians there are suffering. They're suffering for two reasons. One, there's a great famine in the land. We know from archaeology, we know that during this period of time in, in Jerusalem, in Judea, there was a great famine. So people were suffering. In an, <laughs> in an agrarian economy, when there's a famine, everybody suffers. So there's suffering. A lot of times when there's suffering, uh, even today, we want to blame somebody. Right? I mean if you're a Republican you blame the Democrats. If you're a Democrat you blame the Republicans. Republicans. If you're a libertarian you blame everybody. I think I'm a libertarian. <laughs> I mean, that's just the, you want to blame somebody, right? And so they did. So they so so they would they would blame the Christians and the Romans would blame the Christians because they didn't worship the Roman gods. So they would say, "We're they're not worshiping the Roman gods, so they're they're the gods are angry at them and so we need to persecute them because we need to show our gods that we're loyal so that they will give us the crops that we need. So there was also the, the, the Romans were always, always afraid of crowds gathering because they thought there would be a coup and if you see how many Caesars there were, you understand why. They were overthrowing each other all the time. And then in Rome, in Jerusalem, excuse me, it was particularly difficult because not only were they being persecuted by the Romans, which the Roman persecution, even the Corinthians would at times face Roman persecution, but it was off and on. It wasn't normally consistent, except for a few dictators of the, a few of the Caesars at different times were very consistent, like like Nero, who was very harsh on Christianity. Uh, but they also were in Jerusalem. Uh, they were also being persecuted by the Jews. So the Jews made sure that the Romans continued to persecute them. So those in Jerusalem were really suffering. So Paul, in his ministry, uh, and all of the the followers of Christ, they're raising money to help the people that are suffering, especially in Jerusalem. So Paul says to them, hey, I I want you to put together this previously promised, bountiful gift, this gift that you've already promised. So principle number one is, is that God wants us to take a step of faith and trust him to enable us to give based on future income. In other words, God wants you often to step out in faith and say, this is what we're going to do. I think this, the reason we say this, God wants us to give money to commit to give more money than we've ever given. A, a faith goal. You say, well, I don't know, that's kind of scary. I know you do it all the time. Anybody here have a mortgage? Did you know that was a faith goal? You said, I believe that God is gonna provide or I'm gonna be able to make this payment in the future. And what we're saying is that I don't know how we're gonna do it, but I believe that what God, what I know, you know how, here's how they do with a mortgage. They look at your past and they say, well, do you have a job? You have income coming in? You have good credit? Have you done? Okay, we'll let you have this loan. Well, here's what we know. We know that God has been faithful, faithful in the past. We've seen what he can do. And so we're going to trust him and we're going to step out in faith and believe God to do greater things we ever imagined. So, so we, we're the. I think God wants you to sometimes say, okay, I'm going to trust God this year. Maybe you should say, like the church is saying, this year I'm going to give more money than I've ever given. It's real quiet. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, son. and amen there. I'll pay you later for all those amens. <laughs> See, I don't know the future. But I know the God of the future. And I know and I'm convinced that he is my source. Not the economy, not the world system, not the U.S. government. God is my source. Second thing, Second Corinthians 9, 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, which is to say a cheap giver will be a cheap receiver, and a generous giver will be a generous receiver. So the second principle is that God wants us to give material gifts generously so that he can bless us generously, but often in non-material ways. God wants us to give generously so that he can bless us but does that mean that we're giving to get no we're giving to give we're giving so that we'll have more to give God will bless you so a lot of people will take this out and say well oh well then I'm going to give to get I'm going to give and then I'm going to get a Cadillac or something better you know I mean if you're going to give to get let's get a you know Hyundai Genesis, I guess. I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't think of anything. I was like Maserati or Bentley or something. I don't know. Dr. Tony Evans says in his Bible commentary, great little, he's got a great commentary if you haven't seen it. Uh, in spite of what some health and wealth gospel advocates may say, Paul is not promising that giving generously to gospel ministry will result in earthly material prosperity, and the elimination of all your problems anyone who says that doesn't know what he's talking about and is claiming biblical support for false teaching but clearly there is a principle of sowing and reaping here that is not to be ignored if you give generously to legitimate need for sincere gospel motives when it is in your capacity to do so God will give you his blessing but what's the definition of his blessing a blessing is the God-given capacity to experience, enjoy, and extend the goodness and favor of God in your life. Regardless of what God provides to you, he will bless you with his presence and the ability to use what he provides. I'm going to tell you this. God has blessed you God will bless you in unbelievable ways. First of all, the first blessing, the best blessing, the greatest blessing, the most tremendous blessing that you will ever get is salvation. It is God releasing and pouring out the the riches of heaven into your life, and he does it through lavish grace. It's not anything that you do, it's what he does. What a blessing he gives us they asked martin luther what did you do what part did you play in your salvation and he said rebellion and sin what part do we play rebellion and sin but god rescues us and saves us and he gives us lavish salvation and then he gives us i want to tell you one of the best things that you're ever going to get from god the most wonderful thing you're ever going to get from god is his presence his presence what a great promise he said I must go away it's better for you for me to go away Jesus says he says but I'm going to send back to you the comforter and he's gonna be with you and he is going to be in you and the greatest thing you ever experience when if you're going through trial if you're going through difficulty if you're going through pain and suffering and agony and loss, and fear, the greatest thing that God ever gives you is His presence. What they lost in the garden was not the garden. They lost the presence of God. They lost the ability to go near to God. They lost His presence. The greatest promise we have is His presence. We get salvation. We get His presence. Then when you get His presence, you know what you get? You get the peace of God that passes understanding that's a blessing folks you have the joy of God and then you have the family of God I'm not just talking about we're now God's family we're God's children everything that Jesus gets in eternity we get do you understand what that means I don't understand what it means. It's too much to understand what it means. It's too glorious to imagine. Everything that Jesus gets, Jesus is God. Everything that Jesus gets, he purchased for us, and we are partakers with him. Everything Jesus gets, we get in eternity. So we have the family. We're sons and daughters of God. We are the children of God, and it does not appear. I'll be, but when he appears, we will be like him. I don't know how it's going to work, but it's going to work. And then we have eternity. We have all of eternity. I can't wait for eternity. It's going to be glorious. That's the, you are, if you think, well, I'm not blessed. I've been given and I'm not blessed. You just don't, under, you don't understand you were blessed beyond your ability to ever repay the moment Jesus came into your heart. And if if you don't know Jesus, today's the day for you to say yes to him, I'll tell you. Second Corinthians nine, seven, each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You shouldn't give based on emotional manipulation or coercion or guilt or shame. Because I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need our money. We don't give because God needs our money. Do you think God gets your money when you give it? God, you, we're going to use our money for the glory of God, and I hope you're using all of your money for the glory of God, just not the money you're giving. Because it all belongs to God. But God doesn't need our money. I mean, the streets of heaven are made paved with gold. It's a it's gold is asphalt in heaven. Does God need money? No, the currency of heaven is faith. We express faith in God. So God wants you to be a cheerful giver. He never wants you to feel like you're obligated or feel guilt or feel shame. It ought to be because I want to give and it's joy to give. I can't wait to give. I'm excited to give what an opportunity to give. Isn't it wonderful that God's blessed me? Do you realize how much God's blessed you with? And When you give, what, you say, well, what about the tithe? I want to tell you, if you think you're burdened by the tithe, don't, don't give the tithe because tithe is an Old Testament principle. You don't have to give the tithe. I give the tithe because I think tithe is, is, a, is a principle, but, but that's an old, it's an Old Testament. You know what the New Testament principle is? All you want to be free from the tithe? Give it all. It's all who, who does it belong to? You, here's what the Bible says You've been bought with a price. Whose are you? You're getting quiet on me now. You think I'm going to reach in your pocket or something? <laughs> No, I want you to, God wants to set you free from the bondage of giving. He wants it to be a joy. If it's not a joy, don't do it. Your heart's not right. You think God needs your money? No. What what he wants? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Your pocketbook will follow. So it shouldn't be based on that. God wants you to be a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God's able to make all grace abound to you. He's able to make grace keep on coming, grace to abound, grace that is sufficient. And it's not just about, it's all kinds of grace, all grace. You need all kinds, you know, you want to get by in life? You need all kinds of grace. I don't know if, I need all kinds of help. (laughs) Do you, have you realized that yet? Paul said, Paul one day realized, he said, man, I figured something out, guys. Hey. I used to be really confident in who I was and what I could do and what I could accomplish, but here's what I've learned. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned that when I'm weak, he's strong. You know, Paul started out strong, you know, when he'd write his letters, I'm an apostle, apostle of Christ. By the time he got to the end, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. (laughs) Paul got more humble the older he got. And so, we're thankful for what God's done. He gives us abundant grace. He's a, make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance in every good deed, as it's written. He scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So, you want to have money next year? Anybody want to have money next year? Be generous this year. You want to have money next? You know why we're doing this? You know how we're giving away more money this year than we've ever given away? So we can give more money the next year that we've ever given away. In other words, we're being generous so that we can be generous. So that's principle number four. God desires to meet our material needs, not necessarily our wants when we're generous, generous givers. Paul told the Philippians, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Where does it come from? You say, well, I don't know. How's it going to happen? There's, I don't see how it's going to happen. God says, well, you don't have to work. You don't have to figure out how it's going to happen. It's, it's according to my riches, not your riches. You say, I'm not rich. I don't have it. God says, I got it. I got it. 2 Corinthians nine ten. now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. So God wants to increase your ability to keep giving. When we're generous, principle number five, God will enable us to continue to be generous. When we're generous, God wants to help you be generous. He wants to. He said, "Man, here's the reality. Here's what you got to wrap your mind around. It's not about the amount. It's about your heart and your attitude and the faith faith that is involved." Remember the widow. That Jesus one day was watching them put money into the offering. And most of them were doing it with great fanfare. Because they wanted to draw attention to how much they were giving. And one little widow woman, you know, kind of snuck up there. Walked, you know, no fanfare. And dropped in two pennies. Two pennies. And Jesus said... See that woman right there? She just gave more than all of them. Add it all up. She gave more than all of them. Why? Because she gave out of her sustenance. She gave out of faith. She she gave what she was living on. She, She didn't have anything else to live on. She gave her last two pennies. She didn't have any other resource but her faith. God says, I want you to give out of the resource of your faith. I want you to trust me. I want you to give in such a way that God has to move in and help you. So, see, if God doesn't help her, she's not going to eat tomorrow. But she's saying, I trust God. I believe God. She gave out of her sustenance. And when, when you put God first... When you make God's kingdom a priority, when you seek first the kingdom of God and you make it a priority in, in your life, it opens you to waves of God's grace coming over you, waves of God's ability that's way bigger than any gift you'd ever give. Second Corinthians 9-11, you will be enriched in, all, in everything. You'll be enriched in everything, all kinds of ways, for your All liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. He said, so Paul says, it makes me, when I think about what you've given, it makes me want to praise God for it. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many things for God. Because of the proof of given by this ministry, they will glorify God for for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them all and to all of them while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing greatness of god in you so what this this was producing so the people in jerusalem they're like thinking wow this is incredible they don't even know us but they love us so they're able to say we love them too because there are fellow believers in christ and they have done this great sacrifice and they've sent this money across the sea, so, and this isn't this unbelievable, that they love us, and so it brings praise to God and raises glory to God because of their generous gift. So when we're generously obedient, it causes other Christians to be thankful. Think about Barnabas. Barnabas, the Bible tells us about Barnabas, Acts chapter 4, he was, his name was Joseph. He was a Levite of Cyprian birth who was also called Barnabas by the apostles which translated means son of encouragement and who owned a tract of land and sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here the early church, they're struggling. They don't have enough money. And Barnabas, Joseph, a Levite, he's got some land. Somehow he's been able to keep some land together. The Romans haven't stolen through taxation and he's able to sell that land. Maybe it's the only inheritance he's got from his family. I don't know. But he sells that land. And he takes that money and he gives it to the apostles for the fledgling church, so that those who are without, those who who without resource because they're in Jerusalem, they've come from faraway places, so, so that they can be fed. And they lay, he lays that at the apostles' feet, says, Here, here's my money. And they call, they change his name. And from the rest of the New Testament. They called him, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He said, when people are generous, it encourages the people around them. You can be an encouragement by your generosity. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable, indescribable gift. The motivation, our motivation behind all of this should be how generous God's been with us. Has God been good to you? Thank you. He's been good to Fidel. Nobody else. Everybody else is just barely making it. But Fidel, God's been good to Fidel. So I was thinking this week. I was. I want to. I want to just. got okay, one more thing I want to talk about. Is that? Is that when Jesus fed the five thousand? It was interesting how 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 the apostles. The disciples they had reasonable excuses so when you talk about giving everybody's got reasons why they can't right and so it's normal it's normal to, and so they had reasonable excuses why they can't trust god do we have reasonable excuses why we can't be generous luke chapter 9 now the day was ending and the 12 came and said to him send the crowd away So they said to Jesus, take Jesus, send the crowd away. That they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For we are here in a desolate place. And he said to them, you give them something to eat. Reasonable excuse number one is this is a bad location. This is a desolate place. This is a bad time. It's always a bad time. Your car needs tires. The washing machine quit working. The house needs shingles. There's always something. The kids need shoes. There's always something. It always, anytime you give, it always requires faith. It's always saying, Yeah, yeah. Every time you put money in the offering, you could think, I could use this somewhere else. It's not like I don't have plenty of things to spend money on that I get to give money away. It always takes faith. It always takes faith to be generous and trust God. It's never a good time. It's never a good place. That's reasonable excuse number one. Reasonable excuse number two is there's not not enough money. You say, well, I know that one. Therefore, Jesus, lifted up his eyes, and seeing the large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii. This, a denarii was a day's wage. 200 days' wages worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. There's never enough money. We can't afford it. You notice Jesus didn't say, hey, Philip, go ask Judas and see how much money we have in the pot. Judas was the one who kept the money. They had money. They had some money. Jesus didn't say, go check and see how much money there is to give. No, he just said, you give them something to eat. You do it. Because he wanted them to step out in faith. There's never enough money. We can never really afford it. The third reasonable excuse, number three, is there's not enough resource. In other words, so even if we had money and we bought bread, it wouldn't be enough bread. In John 6 8, one of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy here, there's a lad here. He has five barley loaves and two fish, so we're willing to steal his lunch. Uh, <laughs> but what are these among so many people? I mean, that's, I'm saying, okay, all right. So we, we don't have enough money to buy bread and there's not enough resources. Even if we look, all we this is all we got. We got a little boy's lunch and it's not enough. We have something here you ever think, well, I, we, we got something, but it's not enough. The problem is we think God needs our strength to work. God very seldom works out of our strength. You'll find that God works best out of your weakness. That when I'm weak, he's strong. Not when I'm strong, he's strong. But when I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm at the end of my ability and say, I don't know know how we're going to do this, but you know, God told us to do it, so let's do it. What God wants is your yes, because he is able to do it. He wants you to trust him to do it. You see, it wasn't enough until Jesus got his hands on it. you got to let Jesus get his hands on it. Now, some of you, it's not enough because you never let Jesus get his hands on it. You're holding on to it yourself. I mean, this little boy gave up his lunch. Guess what? He still got a lunch. And, he got, it, it, and it was an all-you-can-eat buffet of the best fish. And chips you ever had, coming from the hand of God the Father, best you'd ever get right here. So Jesus takes this food and he says, "Hey, you get, sit them all down." And he just begins. I don't know. He just takes the resource that's there, the resource that's offered to him, and he takes five loaves and two fish and he, two fishes, and he fi- feeds five thousand people, men plus women and children. You know how much those children can eat? That's why they picked up 12 baskets full. Because kids never eat what they take. There's so, there's so much. So then God doesn't just provide enough. He provides an abundance. And then he says, go pick it up. Because God expects us to be a steward. If God provides it, he expects us to be a steward of it. And not leave it laying on the ground and be wasteful. He expects you to be a steward of what he's given you. And God provided. Amen.